It's so funny. I haven't gotten hardly any better at any of this shit after well over a decade. Because remember, it's been much longer for Marvel. This show is not for the easily offended. So if you are easily offended, go listen to something else. Welcome back to Indie Comic Noise, everybody. Yay, we're in for a super special 10 years in the making treat. This is it, folks. We're back with our somewhat annual Halloween show. And we have all four hosts and special announcement. This is our 10th anniversary hosting Indie Comic Book Noise. So, gentlemen, give yourselves a hand. That's crazy. Yeah, ten years. It's cr- it is not. And that uh, that voice is our superstar. We lured him back to the mic. Super Steve from the bunker. Say hi, Steve. Hello. You told me it was the ten year anniversary, and I had to be here, so I made the effort. Yes, uh, pushed aside all other commitments, loved ones. I'll Des- be back for twenty. <laughs> desperate orphans <laughs> who were looking for a crust of bread. And balancing us out geopolitically, our two friends north of the border from the nation's capital and the fully fortified Otter's Den, it's Phil the Ottawa Otter. Say hi, Phil. Hello. And lastly, but not leastly, because he's been pulling double duty with editing recent episodes from the icebox north of the Arctic Circle, where he only gets visits from Cook and Perry, it's WWX (laughs) Kev. I hope everyone bought Monica. And Dudley do right. He makes it up there, doesn't he? He always gets his man. I just hope he's not. Might be Whiplash. Captain Canuck, maybe. (laughs) Indie Comic Noise, part of the Deliberate Noise Network. A collection of awesome podcasts and shows. Not only Indie Comic Noise, but Marvel Noise. And we have the host and boss of Marvel Noise right here, Super Steve. Yay, Marvel Noise. We're talking about Halloween episodes. We're coming up on our Halloween uh, programming for this year, which is always fun. It's like starting midsummer, I start reading like the creepy horror books, and that's always fun for comics, right? And for indie comics, too. Always, always a bonus. You can, you, and thanks to Derek, of course. Without him, these ones and zeros would stay ones and zeros and not be converted into magical audio sounds for your ears. You can find old episodes and show notes of our old episodes on IndieComicBookNoise.com. Find the show on social media. That includes Facebook and Twitter slash X. You can find some of the hosts there. You can also find some of the hosts on Blue Sky. Right, Kevin? Uh That's true. And Marvel Noise will be there soon. I'm on Mastodon. So, along with Blue Sky rounding out the what's going on with the world today. As you heard from the beginning, there may be strong language or adult concepts or spoilers or whatever, but I always say we never say anything controversial. Then Kevin says, You know, I heard, this is a good story, I heard someone use a Lord Aganda about a comic, 
So I was like, I, I guess anything can be anaganda or anti-ganda. So we're really, we're indie comic book noise, propaganda noise hmm. about comics, obviously. Since it's the 10-year anniversary, I'm dropping an F-bomb, so just fuck that. <laughs> there we go. Nice. Fuck you, fuck all you guys, fuck this. We're earning... Oh, I want to swear too. Fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> we're earning our ratings. All right, folks. When I say 10 years, I don't know, obviously, when this episode is going to get posted, but we took over. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, uh, we'll be able to get it together sometime. We took over with episode 329 in October the 24th of 2013. What had happened was Indie Comic Noise had a series of hosts. Most recently, it was Derek. And Steve had suggested that some of the Marvel Noise regular contributors, which were the four of us at that time, would also chit-chat Indie. We had books we liked that didn't fall under the ambit of the Disney umbrella. Although at that time, that was pre-Disney. Uh, glad we've added those extra Disney books we can talk about on Marvel Noise. So, uh, we took over. And since then, we have chugged along, people. Um, while this is probably episode 542, remember, thanks to Phil and Kevin, we have a lot of point episodes, half episodes. We sort of, like on the build-up to big numbers, or just randomly, I would, for some reason, start calling episodes point episodes. Hey, it worked for Marvel, so it worked for us. So I thought I would go through a history of our Halloween coverage as we started with Halloween. And I know Phil loves our Halloween episodes. So if you're following mm -hmm. at home and want to hear what our freaky voices <laughs> sounded like years ago, it weirded me out. I couldn't listen to these things all the way. You can go back our first annual episode covering and celebrating, which we foolishly describe as we're going to be doing it annually was 2014. It was episode 351. That was in uh, October 28th, 2014. Now, with uh, 2015, we aired, it was episode 373, and we aired it after Halloween on November 10th. But, uh, long-time listeners may remember, we had Billy Z on the episode before, right before Halloween, on uh, at the end of October. He was promoting his Kickstarter. which wow, that's I know. fun. I know uh, uh, Steve and I backed. I liked it. I don't know if he ever made more issues of it, though. I don't know. No. Uh, then, in uh, 2016, it was episode 389 from 10-28-2016. Now, 2017, we had a little bit of trouble. Um, that was when we were doing all those point episodes and the build-up to 400. So, and we also... I could probably take a little credit for this, right? Because around that time is probably when I was having so much trouble keeping up with editing both podcasts that, like, I wasn't keeping up with doing indie, and, and uh, it was falling by the wayside, and you guys started picking up the slack, and were trying to decide whether these were real episodes or not real episodes or all that sort of business, and uh, you, you, you got the ship righted, though. Yeah, we, we missed a few... We. Uh, the show, while we're pretty regular, we're indie, so we allow ourselves some gaps. We did have a early October Canadian Thanksgiving episode, 399.1. So I'm going to count that as our holiday of the season, Canadian Thanksgiving, as Phil and Kevin can tell you, is weird because it's in October. <laughs> That's but, weird. 
But they have well, more guys, to be from another it's country. Cause, it's because Canadians try and copy the Americans, and so we do ours earlier so we can take the credit. You know? Don't you get our TV? Don't you know when Thanksgiving is? Come on. How are just, you going to just assimilate? Where's the Black Friday sales? Come on. You can't do it with that. So that one, and then 2018, we also had a gap in the fall episode, but I was traveling. So I'm going to say, I'm going to stealth claim episode 412, which was from the end of November, because we do talk some horror crime comics. Steve brought up the Rick Gary Kickstarters, which I was backing, where he does those historical crime books. He'd, he'd mentioned the recent one, which I had also had. And all four of us were on the show. That one, I'm going to, I'm going to count, even though wasn't an official 2019 we're back on although i called it the half-ass halloween episode 438 from november 24th of 2019 (laughs) i think that was at the prompting of phil who was pretty disappointed that we had blown off our halloween traditions uh but 2020 we were back on go on phil oh no i was gonna say yeah it i didn't like when we skipped the halloween and now aren't you glad that he made the effort because you would have really had a a gap there if you didn't weren't able to just, pull that pull that out yeah, of your ass. Just because I like to hear you guys talk about some horror because you don't usually like like Steve will sometimes, but yeah, like you guys don't otherwise. No, it's pretty rare for me. I mean, I read yeah. some, but it's just usually whenever we're recording, it's whatever I was reading last. I should be better about saving things for the show, but it just sort of is like a sometimes an impromptu kind of blog or something of what i just have on the top of you the know stacks. but but that's what i want from my indie comics you know it's like it doesn't it's not the it's not the comics code right so yeah i want i want boobs i want mm-hmm. um blood and horror and demons and uh, entrails and cursing and all that good stuff yeah no batman no, cameo. kissing on a tree <laughs> And Kevin, Kevin likes cats. <laughs> yeah, some might say a little too much. But... I like Fat Freddy's cat. So uh, 2020, we were back on the train, episode 461 on October 29th, 2020. That's legit. That's right before Halloween. And then 2021, episode 491. That was right after, on, on November 8th, 2021. And... um. Basically, if you, the other thing is, if you want a history of the show, I would suggest dialing it back to episode 500. That was only back in April 10th of 2022. We did a big, we had Derek and a bunch of old hosts uh, contribute bits. Derek goes through the history of the show that predates us. But I didn't want to do too much of that because this is about us taking over the show and not the whole history of the show. And then last year, we really blew out. We did a two-parter people may remember episodes 560 515 and 516 on october 27th and october 30th and you may you gentlemen may remember in part one i was live mixing in sound effects of like lightning and thunder and all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it didn't go well uh we're not doing that anymore part two i was smart and didn't do that but yeah we did a full two-part and then afterwards i think kevin brought on the 18. So, 2022 was a good year for indie comic noise. But here we are, 10 years in, gentlemen. They ne- they said it would never last. And here we are, still independent. Lasting. And still lasting. And 10 years and we still haven't figured out how to make money. 
doing podcasts. What's wrong Ever. with us? Well, presumably it, it would be Derek's money anyway. So yeah. he's the one that should be kind of pissed off at us. Like we've we've had this show for a decade and it's probably cost him money for sure with yeah. all the business. But still, uh we're here. I just wanted to take a minute. I it just kind of snuck up. And suddenly I realized like, oh my gosh, ten years of not just appear but running the show. Mostly Super Steve for that those first half of it, but since then, we've some of us have helped pick up the slack a little bit. But yeah, that's not nothing. I mean, for your indie comic book needs, we're here. So we've we've we we also did a a double special, well, a triple special, really. The double part of that special is actually shut my window so we wouldn't have all the road noise. <laughs> and then the third part is we actually all made each other read the same stuff, which we almost never do. It's nice to kind of that way we can contribute and punish each other with bad selections. Like a book of the month club. Yeah. Like normally it's our free flowing discussion of Kevin has some TCAF cat comic he picked up and Phil's rereading something from the eighties for the 30th time. Well, we should, we should try and do that more often. And then I'm just whatever the heck I've been reading. And then we're uh, doing whatever we can to get super Steve on the show. But here we are with, Four of the same things for the four hosts, gentlemen. Now, I didn't, uh, well, I guess I should say, does anyone have any uh, remarks they want to make? I know Kevin often has all kinds of crazy business he likes to get into. Crazy business. Hmm. I think we have a lot of, enough business this episode. That sounds good. Off on um, parades and... Uh, celebrations and uh you know i just i just think of all the parades that used to be thrown like mysterio would do something and then a newspaper publisher would throw you a parade for it like you don't get a lot of that anymore no (laughs) you don't although not particularly (laughs) indie or halloween but as uh marvel noise listeners know we did cover the stealth based in real life halloween parade Right, the but, unofficial crossover. Yeah, but that's, uh, <laughs> again, not indie, so we're going to get to it. All right, gentlemen, of the four yeah. books, who wants the, uh, should we make Phil, should we punish Phil, make him no, explain? No, because I'll rebel and I'll go, no. <laughs> you know, I can, I can tell you one thing, though, before we hit those books, is I don't remember anything about that first episode, except if we were doing Halloween books and it's the first time we're doing indie Halloween books, I know for a fact that I must have brought up Twisted Tales, the old Bruce Jones uh, anthology for Pacific Comics. uh, Yeah, and it had its companion book, Alien Worlds, a few months later Mm -hmm. that came out, right? So it would would be an anthology book of either horror stories or sci-fi stories, and they were all written by Jones. So very similar to like the Warren comics or the Warren magazine vibe where everything was written by Archie Goodwin for a long time. Right. And uh, the artists that they had were awesome uh, from Ken Stacy to Wrights and Corbin, uh, you name it. And uh, those were really fun books. Yes. Yeah, I'm just our, waiting for more Zeke Deadwood. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. our, our show notes indicate uh, there was Twisted Tales discussion. Zeke Deadwood. The Eight Seal, Walking Dead. That's a good one. Fireside Tales, Afterlife with Archie. 
Well, you remember when that mm. was the hot? <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's non-existent. St- still sort of going around, right? An attack on mm. Titan. Bart Simpson's Treehouse of Terror. God, I don't think Bongos is around anymore, are they? No. 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 Uh, An no, attack I've... on Titan still hasn't ended. <laughs> no, uh, Bongo's been putting out those Treehouse of Horror collections. Is that not by Bongo? I bought the first one. Yeah, no, but they're not a... by, what is that, Abrams or something? Yeah, I'm right. I'm trying to read. I have it here, but uh, it's too many books on it. <sighs> Bill Morrison, who drew all those... Uh, Simpsons comics for Bongo did a awesome 11 by 17 uh, Mr. Burns sitting in his like Hugh Hefner robe in his big high back chair uh, like in his lounge and I have it hanging up in my um, like pool room library um, pool like billiards it's perfect perfect accoutrement it sounds it yes I can imagine the uh, whole uh oh there are a lot of great Simpsons bits. Just thinking of the Mr. Burns with the "I have a chair at Springfield College" and it's this kind of Dracula scary chair with bad dogs and everything. Yes. <laughs> Don't worry, Simpson. It just so happens I have a chair at Springfield University. I'm sorry, Mr. Burns, but I must object. This Simpson is not qualified. Oh, yeah, I don't remember a... which book I I brought up as the book for tonight of the four. I mean, I know, I know which one Kevin brought up because yeah. it's pretty obvious. He was going to make us read manga. Reading. Then I'm like, ah, oh, which was the other one? All right, all right, Kevin. Start us. Speaking of Attack on Titan, let's cover our uh, one uh, contribution to the world's most popular comic art form. All right, I've read 32 volumes of Attack on Titan. No, uh, Dragon wow. and 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 spoof on Titan, and the the before years. That's impressive, dude. That's a bookshelf right there. <laughs> totally. Wait, spoof on Titan. I just picked up Spoof Comics presents Wolverbroad. Is that the same thing? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think their their spoofs are a little uh, are a little different. Yeah, I, I mean, was... they do a lot of gag comics over there, too, so, I mean. Yeah, because I was, uh, I, I think I had mentioned off mic to you guys, I had found that cable access TV show reviewing comics of the 90s, and they did an Amanda Connor interview when she was doing the Soul Searchers book with Peter David, which I'd never heard of, so I picked up the first trade on eBay, and, you know, with shipping, I'd throw in a few random books, so I threw in... Uh, Lady Vampire number one and Wolverbroad number three spoof comics. Along with you, you didn't get Blood Squirt. Wow, Wolverbroad made it to issue three, huh? I couldn't figure out their numbering. If I'm being honest, oh wow! But it's a maybe fun... it starts with maybe it starts with three. Yeah, there's like a Fred Hambeck story wedged in the middle of it. It's the weirdest. Bill Fred Hambeck. That's for another day. Anyways, uh, tell us about uh, Dragon Head, Kevin. All right, well, when I read it, it was actually by uh, Tokyo Pop. And it was funny, I went to go plug this in to my uh, database there to see, uh, they'd be like, oh, yeah, i got to count that as having read something. And then it said, you already read this. So then I knew it had to be, a, like, 2013, which I thought was pretty late. 
but maybe not. Like, it was still one of those earlier mangas that uh, that I had read, but I, I still think it was... Maybe I didn't find out about it until, like, years after, and then I found it at the Big Island. You could pick up a few volumes at a time, but it was, like... It was becoming, like, out of print, so... And it's originally from the 90s, right? In, uh, in Japan? Yeah, something like that. Like, is it 96 to 98, something like 95. that? 95. 95? Okay. Yeah. How many yeah. volumes of this thing? A 10. Wow. Yeah, it's short. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's my all-time favorite manga. That really? I, it's, Kevin got me onto it, because I asked him what the two best ones are, so I tried out, and it was that <laughs> and Drifting Classroom, he told me. Yeah. And both I love, but this one I love so much, but... I will say this first book that you guys read is doesn't really give you why because they're they're stuck in a situation where the next one they're out in the world and it's like it's it's such a good amazing comic and I think that doesn't happen until like book three. Yeah, it's, it's weird because I've seen some reviews. Oh, this is good, but I don't know how they can sustain a series series of this. And it's like, well, they don't stay in the tunnel. So well, that's just it. I'm imagine I, you know they're they're <laughs> in a train crash in a in a like a mountain underpass tunnel, and it's um, the tunnels collapsed in on both sides, so they're trapped in there, and that's the horror of it all, and also the cleverness of the whole manga because then you're not having to draw all this stuff, right? There's all this space <laughs> and all this darkness, and that can play into the moodiness that manga you know does so well and i thought the same thing i thought wow how would they have multiple volumes of this except you there's almost there's like somewhere along the line it's sort of suggested that maybe there was like a nuclear war or something and there is no outside like so yeah i didn't even know if there was going to be an an outside the mountain or if they'd be out there and they'd be like, maybe being inside the mountains is the best place to be. I, I don't know. I mean, you are somewhat relatively safe. Being I in... think Kevin's spoilers are okay, because... Yeah, I mean, yeah. They, are, they always... It's not a spoiler if you haven't read beyond the first one. <laughs> yeah, and let me tell you something. If I'm guessing right, I don't... When I look this I'm up just... on at the L.A. Public Library, all they have is volume one. So I'm like, well, I no. guess this is as far as I'm going in this adventure. Well, it's a well, hard one to track down. I was yeah. lucky to get my collection at the time because I'm yeah. sure that it's when it was dwindling out. Like the the thing is, it's good now that it's come back at least digitally from uh, Kodansha. So I mean, it is available in some form now again. So I mean, that's good. I don't know if like if some of these things will come back into print. Like you never know. It, like it definitely deserves a print. Like once you read the other books like it's it's definitely uh like from start to finish it's just pretty amazing like well, I'm glad what we happens decided once he gets topside the first yeah, the first like volume those things where yeah. once you read the first volume and you've read the other ones like you can like they're always seeding like things in the first volume or they're trying to figure things out and then it's like oh but yeah it's funny that they use the whole darkness and everything so it's like yeah if you're on a weekly schedule or like thinking, a magazine, I'm like that certainly helps you. I'm thinking too if it's if it's, the, if it's the '90s and it's kind of that's what I would think of as early manga, even though it's you know back when I was a kid that was manga type anime il- illustration and stuff. But 
you know the things that are like the tropes of manga that the the is done so well here too that i feel like it's just um you know more on the blueprint side of manga rather than it being a, a hackneyed thing that's just being done over like the way they, they can stretch time and move time around with manga is so great right because they got so many pages they could spend three pages on like a dude rolling a body off of um a, a set of keys that he's trying to get or something like that or trying to get to something under a seat and having to move a body oh, they'll um, spend 30 pages doing that <laughs> but yet you can go you on one page you can have him getting to one end of the tunnel with all of the blockage and finding all the blockage at the end of the tunnel and then the very next panel have almost the same panel in reverse and have it be totally understood that he did the long ass hike from mm-hmm. one end of the tunnel all the way to the other end of the tunnel that like they can go from a long dragged out time thing to like these snap of the finger time moments but it it, it all works I and mean, they and they just they have the pages to play with so they can play yeah that's for sure and then there are those like flashback moments where they fill in stuff and there's like more words and stuff going on there rather than you just sitting at the black pages i mean i sometimes i love staring at those darkness because i'm like totally enveloped in the experience and then I, like one of the characters in the story will be like there's something out there and then like they're looking and you're looking and i'm like looking at the page and i'm like is there <laughs> well we it's should like, creep give- me out Give a little. Because he's uh, like freaking out. He's almost getting like the Ditko sweats at times. One of the characters there. Uh, it, it's very Ditko suspensey. Minotaro Mochizuki is the person behind this. We should give a little basic. And basically, we have a school trip. Uh, guys on the train. It goes into a tunnel. Huge disaster happens, and he wakes up and he's by himself. He then discovers another survivor, a woman, a girl classmate i don't know their class structure so i don't know if when they say like if they're older younger whatever but basically the roughly close in age i'm guessing and then he finds another guy who is not handling survivorship well yeah she's in she's injured and he's not adapting well so like the protagonist that whose eyes were seeing all this through basically has to be the one to have his shit together and, and try to survive so those are our basic uh three people and then there's suggested that perhaps our guy who's panicking our bill paxton in aliens 2 guy oh. is the stumbles across a possible survivor that he makes sure doesn't end up a survivor i wasn't sure how much of that was in his head or not and i guess it doesn't really matter uh, unless it comes back in like volume four or something but as noted seems like andy's never going to find any of the other volumes but <laughs> Uh, the flop sweat's always great. They're all beat up, which they keep. So it's a really nice... Uh, the flashbacks, I don't know. It's flashback to his regular boring kid life where he's kind of unhappy with his family. You know, like teenager shit. So I guess that kind of breaks the tension a little. But I wanted more under the train, stuck in the thing, grappling. I mean, it's almost worse that he finds that other guy when he was just yeah. by himself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's two two more volumes I remember of the of train stuff. Oh, is it two? I thought it, I thought it was just two in total. 
I was feeling you know, like he's think... he's got enough to deal with without having to yeah. deal with that other guy's crap too. Yeah, like I think if I remember by the end of the third one, I think something resolves itself. Well, it's also smart to remember that over there the trains are a bit nicer, so the food cars has actual mm-hmm. food and water and those things that if you're thinking of the modern American train, which <laughs> might or might not have functioning restrooms, is about the biggest amenity you get. So this, so that part has to explain, like, well, how are they stuck under there for you know with no food and water? Well, they got it from the food, and because there's only three of them, they don't need as much, but. It has yet to descend to cannibalism or anything like that. It will. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I thought it was good. Tense, a little... Like I said, the flashbacks didn't always work for me, but I get that they wanted to... I, I don't like flashbacks either, but I think that windles down as it goes on. Yeah, there's not... Really like, I think that's lot. just in the train stuff, really, because I don't remember it bugging me after that. And that could be part of his disorientation and sort of having mm-hmm. gotten his bell rung from the trauma, initial trauma of the accident, too, right? Where he's, like, thinking about being a kid, like, who am I, where am I kind of crap. Yeah. And, and while they're... they have, like, one of those things, I always mention usually, I'm like, oh, they're in school. There's a lot of school kids again, but it's not... One of those super annoying things, I find. Like I was saying before about the, you know, sort of crassly saying that what I want out of indie comics is boobs and bloodshed and disembowelments and stuff. Specifically about manga, a lot of times that is what I am looking for from manga is that extra something that we don't get from American comics necessarily, but to see how another... Um, cultures, creative personnel handle different things like gore and nudity and uh, relationships and everything else, death, uh, afterlife stuff, um, personifications of death, all that kind of business. But then there is that other place of the the Japanese suspense, um, like movies, right? That's like almost like their film noir stuff that is horror related, where you have the things that, like, the story doesn't really go anywhere necessarily, and it's really more about the mood that's created and these suspenseful moments, and not about actually there being some type of great resolution that makes sense that there was a big story to tell or something. You know what I mean? And we've uh, American uh, movies have. Um, tried to copy some of those or uh, uh, translate some of those and stuff like there's that one with the well with the creepy person girl coming out of the well who's all disheveled and the one with uh, Sarah Michelle Geller the whatever it was the curse or the, the ring and yeah, uh... yeah, 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 yeah those kinds of ones yeah. but so I felt like this was coming out of more of that same type of creator vision where you didn't have to show the bloodshed you didn't have to show the gore necessarily that the scariness is in the being basically entombed inside a very small space and all that darkness and having to deal with an injured person and a dude who's tweaking out um, and possibly no way out and that kind of a thing which is cool um, but I, I also like how manga horror stuff can be really gory and I forget what one I read years ago that was something about a guy who was, like, in hell and, you know, they're just showing people's entrails being, like, you know, oh, skin yeah. being peeled up like it's a 
sardine can and that kind of a stuff and just such crazy off the wall grotesqueness and stuff. I'm like, geez, they can really um, pump pump the crap out <laughs> over there. You know, this this reminds me of why I probably became the manga reader that I did. Is like I'm already reading like a lot of superheroes, so when I'm looking for stuff, I don't know, maybe I bounce off a lot of like boys manga or shonen manga and stuff where there's like a lot of fighting because I'm just like I'm already reading a lot of fighting with superheroes so I'm like okay you've told me they do other stuff so let's find something different let's find all the crazy stuff let's let's see the different things that they do that I can't get somewhere else well that's that's probably why I would like I I went in in the different directions that I did like I don't I don't want to I don't want to see a lot of fighting. I want, I want to see something different. Unrelated to this, when I was looking this up on the library, I found out that he did, I don't know if you guys remember, Wes Anderson did that stop-motion film Isle of Dogs um, maybe about five, six years ago. He did the official manga adaptation tie-in book, <laughs> which really? they do have at the library. And I was just like, wow, what a random... <laughs> like, he went on to go pick up that that job which it sounds like mm-hmm. a good job i mean i've seen most of wes anderson's films i think so um uh, i remember the fantastic mr fox's other animated one but i just thought that was a weird trivia bit because usually you know you look these guys up and they have nine thousand volumes of whatever they're doing you know volume 432 or whatever and because this one was only 10 i was wondering what well else. that's what i like the volumes that go to like 10 that's how i like my mangas <laughs> i like the small stories you know but there was a story to tell that had a beginning middle and an end kind of rather than it just yeah. being let's do this forever i don't oh, like still making money let's on. pump out another volume and yeah. same for drifting classroom i think that was 10 maybe two is that right kevin something like that like yeah maybe it was 12 i'm not sure but it oh was, no i think it, it was, was n- nine maybe oh maybe i don't know it's, it's yeah. much more manageable like, I don't yeah. really have a run of anything. Like, I start feeling bad or, like, going, where am I going to put all this stuff? Like, something like One Piece. Like, if it's, like, 100 volumes, I'm just, like, where? Like, I'm just going to run out of space very quickly. And there was a live-action movie in 2003 of Dragonhead. Yeah. But it's, it's yeah. very hard to track down. Hmm. So if you're going to try and find it, I would do it now, and good luck, but. Did you were you able to watch it, Phil, or you didn't? Get I have it. I own it on DVD. Yeah. Oh wow! How is it? Uh, English subtitles or all Japanese? Uh, I I had English subtitles, oh, and nice. uh, a lot of it takes place in the train, if I remember correctly. It's been years since I watched it, but I'm pretty sure a lot of it takes place in the train part, unfortunately. Yeah. But, and then they eventually get out. I can see. Also, from a but you know those bottle shows work pretty well. You know you don't need million sets or locations you just mm-hmm. dress a nice disaster set and you can shoot all your movie there yeah I like it. but i'm not someone to trust on live action manga movies though because i did love the attack on titan live actions <laughs> and i know that's very unpopular yeah i like the yamato one i don't know that property yamato that? what's that which what's property i don't know that property. Uh, the uh the star blazers uh the battleship yamato stuff? yeah Yamamoto. Yeah, Space Battleship Yamato. Uh, that, that when uh, we were growing up in the 70s mm-hmm. um, and early 80s, that 
uh, show Star Blazers and one called Battle of the Planets were two. Oh, Battle Jap- of the Planets, I know. Those yeah. were the two Japanese animes that were by the same production company. Um, you, you know, um, redubbed them and remixed them and made them into took out some of the edgy stuff. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, Filed off the edges. <laughs> yeah, and uh, they were both. Those were the two Japanese anime cartoons in the in the U.S. Was and Star Blazers was a a serial. So there was like 26 episodes for the season and the story went somewhere and uh, it was like they had to go to another galaxy to get a star drive that would save Earth and they refitted the Yamato, which was a World War II sunken vessel and put a big uh, like space um, engine underneath it. So the visual of the ship, you must have seen it over the years. If you saw it, you'd be like, oh, that's what that thing is. I always see that ship everywhere. That was as hot as Battle of the Planets when I was a kid. They redid it in the like, 2010, 2012, around that time. They uh, redid the Yamato stuff with you know up-to-date, at, for that time, animation, which was really cool. Because uh, obviously the old stuff was quite dated. But um, And there's Space Battleship Yamato um, manga and stuff as well that was created back in that original time back in the um, 70s. Some of the the look of the females with the really, really wide eyelashes that extend way past, like, the borders of their hair and stuff. And those really pointy chins are real um, indicators of that. I forget the guy who did it, but that guy uh, who whose work it's all based on and who did the manga and stuff, but... That was his his style. One of the old anime manga masters. All right, a dragon head. So we, I think we can recommend it if you can find. Like I said, it seems like volume one seemed like it did really well, so that might be. But finding the other volumes might be a little tricky. Well, Kevin, Kevin says said you digital. can get it digital. Kodash so, yeah. digital, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the best bet at this point. Yeah, but it is, if they ever do release some nice hardcovers or something, it is worth getting. Now, Drifting Classroom came out in three beautiful hardcovers recently. That's the thing. Like, So you might get lucky. Yeah, yeah like like a lot of things that I, I read before have come out. Like all the Genji Ito stuff has come out in Deluxe. Yeah. All the Irasawa stuff has come out in Deluxe. Yeah, Drifting Classroom, all all that stuff has come out in Deluxe. But, so. but at the same time, I never hear about Dragon Head, though. Like, That's I feel the like, thing. Is it kind of forgotten at this point? Because for me, Dragon Head and Drifting Classroom are kind of, You know like how they called Vertigo the Smart Man comic or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's how I consider those properties, like, for manga. I think that's fair, because compared yeah. to what Tokyo Pop put out, like, I wasn't super into, like, a lot of their stuff. But they put out Dragon Head, so I, I took note of that. But, but yeah. yes, I, I recommend, I think. Uh, Vertigo comics are over my head a lot of the time. It was the <laughs> artwork. The, the, I know it's horrible to say, but the number one turnoff from Vertigo was usually the artwork for me. Oh, I was a huge Vertigo fan. I love Vertigo stuff. All right, gentlemen, that was, uh, what should we turn to next? What are you guys in the mood for? Shall we put Phil on the spot with his book now? Phil, you've got, you got some warm-up time. You ready to talk Wendigo? Oh, Hello. 
It feels my mic's, like oh, my mic's all screwed up. Although I feel like Wendigo, um, isn't Steve always fighting a Wendigo, and that's why he can't make it? Or maybe that's, <laughs> that's Kevin. That's what I hear. I used to use that as an excuse. <laughs> Steve's yeah. off battling the Wendigo, but we have Joseph Oliveria Vukasin Ivokovic, Alex B. Harlagyar, and Eston C. Hawk with Wendigo Wood. Now, this is Joseph's company, Afterlife Comics, so he writes, like, all of them. Smart man. Was, that way you get to work. Like a kick, was this a Kickstarter? Or a... Uh, this was a Kickstarter just for the trade. Okay. Yeah, so I've tried probably now, I think, eight of his books, and I've loved every single one. This one would probably be my least favorite. But it's the only one I had access to send you guys. But at the same time, I still liked it. But his other ones, just like the quality is so good, like Slasher Royale and stuff. Any Kickstarter he does now, I'm instant in. It's great prices. And like a month after the Kickstarter is done, you get the comic. Nice. So the turnaround time's fast. But yeah, this company has become one of my favorite companies. And uh, Furious Monkey Fist also is my other favorite indie company right now. But uh, but yeah, I'm loving this. Like all they do is horror books, and just everyone is like awesome for me. I was, so far for me, this felt very much like a straight up, uh, kind of not micro budget or no budget, but low budget. If you know the distinction, that's, horror movie. That's how. That's how. Yeah, what that's it read. How I got that's that, that feel to too. Me. Like yeah. So that basically it uh, involves the Wendigo Wood where there's a secret cult who live with the Wendigo creatures and they require the kidnapping of people that come through to replenish their stock and also, uh, you know, killing one ones they can't recruit. So it starts with a cold open of a family getting killed and their baby being abducted. I thought it could have used though, Phil with comic mm-hmm. books, I really didn't like, they seem adverse to like boxes, placing things in time, because there's some jumps, and you figure it out, but it's kind of a, like, it's a comic, it's not a movie, you can put like, five years later, or in the woods later, because it cuts right to the woman's father, after the, and it was just a little like, you put it together, but you waste a bunch of time, and it has that feel too, like I said, so there's a lot of like, chatter back and forth you know the characters establishing things and i just think maybe another pass to make it more like a comic well i think that's that's why like this is was on more my bottom of the list where like his stuff now is like more how you'd want it like he's definitely perfected his craft and like I, the I, art's so much better in his new stuff too but yeah i but, i wondered if this actually the original um segments that were put together into this collection if it happened over a long period of time because it seems like he got better with his storytelling as it went on probably because i'm guessing it was kickstarters and i know like slasher royale like um it seems like maybe like six four months or something like that in between issues right now and, and that's five issues this one so and i'm not really over a, time i'm not really a fan of that like consistent same line thickness looks like digital art kind mm-hmm. of style so i was pretty happy when the art 
artist switched in the fourth chapter. Yeah. I thought the art really improved from that point on. Um, and But, you know, it, it's moody and suspenseful all throughout the whole thing. I thought it was cool that the threat wasn't just that it was yokels in the, you know, woods with their cult, but that there was really a supernatural weird thing going on there. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Oh, they were a cool design too with their uh, Georgia O'Keeffe heads. Yeah, I just feel like for people starting out, and I know I'm terrible, and I've pointed this contradiction out before how much I love Alan Moore, but I genuinely think early comic book writers should have less dialogue and really focus on communicating more through the visuals as an exercise. And then when you're more into it, then you can break that with loads of dialogue, but... When you read like Battle Royale or sorry Slasher Royale or some of his other ones I have like the dialogue's perfect the art is perfect like it's I think he's gotten better artists too over the time but it's it's like it's quality quality stuff Well and not to spoil too much but as Steve said the call so people you think might have died maybe didn't die and so there's various mm-hmm. reunions and there's factions within the cult plus satisfying the need of these creatures and people rebelling. So there's a pretty rich world. I just feel like that second pass would have made things a lot clearer, at least for me. But who knows? Maybe I'm dumb. Like, I'm not the end-all, be-all arbiter of what works. And maybe you'll be like, hey, Andy, just figure it out. I mean, I feel like I did, but I don't know. I feel like you're in a comic book, man. Use what comic books do well and get us all up to speed right away because that delay is just going to kind of... I had to do this in a couple of passes, in other words. It wasn't... Dude, just... Andrew, you just don't get indie comics. Yeah, that, that's yeah, a fair see? fair complaint. I, I, <laughs> I uh, Guilty as charged. Now you have you have 14 hours to get his newest Kickstarter. <laughs> well, maybe I can figure that out for... Put it in the show notes. Yeah, it's not going to make... But maybe I'll put it in, and that way when his <laughs> next one... If you said he keeps doing these... The well, one this was his this was his last one for this year, so it'll be next year where he starts doing some more, which right, will but, probably be Slasher Royale number three. Yeah, I'm guessing. but once you have a link or something, then you can follow up mm-hmm. with it later. Even that's why sometimes I post them, even if they're dead. You know that yeah. finish that because most of the ones I'm back in now are the same thing. They're people that keep delivering and keep using Kickstarter that way. I'm not doing as many new, brand new. I've never heard of this guy. We're just gonna drop. That. Yeah, and I still have yet to do any zoops. So what's you a guys, zoop? It's another comic book crowdfunding. I oh, don't know if you guys have you any of you guys done a zoop yet? No, no. it's bad. Doing an Indiegogo is bad enough. Yeah, <laughs> I've stopped. I've I did a few of those and I've quit on those too. I'm pretty much Kickstarter. I just don't. You know, you get. I got burned on Kickstarter enough. These other ones seem like. Wait, Aaron, a new a new place to lose money. <laughs> Aaron Lepresti is doing this really good supernatural Western thing through Indiegogo. Um, I forget the exact name of it, but one of these times, uh, I think I did talk about it actually uh, on a past episode. Um, but there was one volume uh, that out already, and the second volume, the campaign just finished for it. But the way those Indiegogo things go, it's almost like you can even buy it afterwards. And I don't understand. It's like called wrath of wraith of god or something like that or and then it's like a 
uh, masked Western dude in the spirit of the old original white Ghost Rider Western kind of, but uh, the imagery is awesome and Lopresti's art is really, really good. He's putting so much into it, the environment that he's creating uh, visually uh, from the, you know, from the girls uh, in the canteen to the you know, shattered doorway when the dude gets pushed through it. It's just really splintered wood and coals of the fire and everything. Just everything is just so rendered wonderfully. Really good stuff. Yeah, I've heard yeah, that. I've heard the... a lot of ads for Zoop and a lot of interviews. And I and they always they're always uh, I don't know maybe it's intentional, but they're always like thumbing uh, their nose at Kickstarter, like no post surveys and all this. Like putting all their selling points there. I have not. I just I'm in a a comics chat, and every once in a while, they post. They haven't backed too much. There was IDW did like the a benefit book for Ukraine, and I think they use Zoop, and so I know some of the guys I know backed it. But I guess they just got it recently. It's just started coming out now. So I was like, oh, I can see how coordinating. You know, the problem with those big anthologies is whenever you have a million different creators, instantly whoever's going to be the problem child is jamming up all the other. You know what I mean? It's uh, for sure the slowest link in the chain and that. So it's great when you see these things because you're like, oh, my God, this is a murderer's row of like 30 great creators. And you're like, all it takes is one. Do-. Like I had that one with the, the heck treasury that only had three that took years and years to come out because uh, you're getting like flashbacks and, of image united and you put it in or you put it in your campaign thing that like you know and forward by kevin smith <laughs> and then it's like oh, i'm waiting for this freaking forward from kevin smith <laughs> but uh yeah all right let's uh what's what's next gentlemen we got three choices three no two two oh that's right we already two anthologies did. two anthologies an anthology all right well Technically, I'll cover this one because technically Steve suggested it, but he knows I have this book. So it I'm stealing it as my suggestion because it's the um, Creepy Presents Steve Ditko. And it was just funny when he suggested it because I'm like, oh, yeah, we're definitely I got that on the bookshelf. And it's uh, <laughs> a wonderful it's one of those big hardcovers that I really like that came out from Dark Horse. And what's nice about it is. It was like 20 bucks, which for me is a pretty sweet. That's now, a this good price. Came out yeah. a while ago, so maybe now it would yeah. be 45 or whatever. But for that oversized, like that's this a... whole this whole series of the creepy presents hardcovers are really good. There's a Bernie Wrightson one and a Richard yeah, Corbin one I as well. That, yeah. that they're really good. Um, but I think it was Kevin who suggested the book, and and <laughs> I just and I just said, yeah, that sounds good, and then you jumped on it. So I got to give credit where it's due. Well, I mean, I, I just thought it was strange because it says Creepy Presents, and then you see the issues, and it's like they took stuff from Eerie and Creepy. And I was trying to figure out how are they doing these, but I, yeah, I guess they, they did the character Eeries and then the the creator Creepies that that uh, um, Bob Gar had to clue me into. Well, I thought it was like I said, the price may be more expensive now because copyright is 1966, so price is no, that's the original. Oh. This came out in 2013. So it's yeah, and I guess that that humble bundle will be over by the time this goes up. But 
they were giving like a lot of creepy, like 27 volumes of creepy away, which is great. Wow. And it's a, a nice, uh, some, I, depending on who's doing it, I'm sometimes read, sometimes don't, but Mark Evan Ayer does the front piece. So I'm always going to read what he has to say for sure. Um, well, not only knowledgeable, but a good writer as well, which helps. So he gives kind of the context for creepy and eerie and how these are, this is the magazine work. And one of the times when everyone, man, comic book people can't agree on a lot, but everybody loved Archie Goodwin. I don't think I've ever, you know, normally you can find somebody saying something about somebody, but I feel like he's the one exception of, man, I don't, everybody seemed to think he was a great dude and I'm here for it. So I had, I had the, um, awesome opportunity to have met uh, in a personal situation. Um, John J. Muth was a awesome, uh, painter who uh, studied under Catherine Jones used to be Jeff Jones and did a lot of work for Epic Illustrated and, you know, around that time of comics and stuff. And I asked him about that time because, you know, I'm a comics guy and grew up at that time. That was my golden age, right? So I'm not going to not ask him about that and working for Epic and all that business. And at the end of the event that I was at with him, um, he came up to me and said, uh, thank you so much for making me think about Archie Goodwin again. And and what a good guy he was. So like that's that's the kind of connection <laughs> yeah. he made with people. That thing that's that's meaningful. Loved his uh uh with JM the Moonshadow is the book I remember him from. Right. The, right. The big, yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of blew my there weren't a lot of people doing that kind of painting in comics, at least that I knew of when that thing came out. So. He went on to get to do legit work doing uh, Carolyn Kennedy's um, illustrations in her like kids books and poetry books and stuff, and then uh, went off and on his own more Asian and dry brush work and own poetry and uh, Zen bear stuff and whatnot. He's uh, he's amazing. Yeah, and so this is uh, so creepy and Warren publications. Almost all of it done by Goodwin. Uh, I think there's one story that's not. And it's Ditko experimenting with different uh, ink washes and black and white. Oh, so good. And some of these, I believe, have been reproduced in the Kickstarters I used to back. The Robin Snyder Ditko. They might still be going on. I don't know. I haven't backed any in a few years. but they do. um, This is a nicer reproduction. No offense to those. Those were just <laughs> floppies they cranked out, which I backed them for years, even a few after once he died. But it's really nice seeing these. Man, Dicko is not afraid to put ink on a page on some of The amount of hashing he does in some of these stories is really fun. And so they're, they're going to be your mostly ironic twists at the end. You know, the guy that is afraid of or hates spiders, and then he ends up being married to a spider at the end. That type of thing <laughs> that we've all I seen hate when before. That, happens. that actually sounds like a manga. And then I got married to a spider. Why did it have to be spiders? <laughs> but but, but for I was me, ask you if like they had remastered his artwork or something. I was just like, wow, it looks looks really sharp, and all the things he's doing. I'm like, is like he wasn't always doing this stuff. 
the faces almost look beautiful, right? Ditko's ugly faces look beautiful with with these ink washes. It's amazing. There are a few stories that standed out, stood out to me. Standed out, lovely Andy. A uh, second chance is one where it's uh, the character goes to hell, and Ditko always had, as Doctor Strange fans may know, a really fun way of interpreting kind of other planes and other reality that I think, I mean, maybe he cribbed it from someone, but I feel like his influence goes far. The kind of multi-plane with geometric shapes spinning around and everything is so cool is uh, used today to great effect. And you get to see some of his sword and sorcery work, which is kind of fun. Although I feel like maybe as much as I love Ditko, his uh, medieval weaponry Felt like it could yeah. use a little... That would be, if I had to ding one point away from him, it would be, I feel like the the swords don't feel quite the, uh, the, right. The, la- the last story in the whole volume, too, that warrior of death where the Zoran guy becomes like an immortal agent of death until he meets another guy who kills him and then because he, too, had made a deal with death or whatever. I thought it was cool that... Um, Evanier revealed in the introduction that that was the genre that Ditko actually requested uh, from Archie Goodwin to write a story or two that was uh, swords and sorcery. And it's like, oh, that's fun. I totally would have read, you know, for that one ding, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't have seen it. I legit thought Room with a View might be Ditko's creepiest story. Like yeah. the face renderings he does... It, there's a haunted mirror where the guy sees things in the mirror and then they come true type of thing. And he has these kind of collection of, I mean, Dicko do some creepy dudes much like it reminded me of the collector's edition earlier on too, but there it's more the kind of flop sweat and everything. And here he puts like a, a devil and a ghoul and a, and the kind of gleeful delight these evil characters have. I was like, that's, you know, comic books aren't, for me generally kind of scary when they have monsters but that one was some uh, really fine i was like man he he really knocked it out i would have that that was great no the line work the line work on that room with a view too it's like a franklin booth bernie wrights and frank cho thing with all like the little straight lines all next to each other at different angles creating textures and and thick you know oh man and thanks to Evanier's intro again, we learn why that one looks so different than all the others visually. It's because that was actually, even though it's in this volume, it's in the middle of the book, it was the first black and white work that he did for Warren magazines at all. So it's before he even started playing around with that ink brush, uh, ink wash stuff. But, oh man, yeah, it was really fun to see Ditko pull you know just uh not be restrained and really do stuff like his interdimensional dr strangey type of stuff to see it done with those washes where he could give those forms those spherical forms more weight and stuff just i thought it was just really a fun ride through you know one artist's style really where he's just unleashed and and doing really fun stuff. 
Yeah, Deep Ruby's another one of those multi-dimensional ones where he really that, has fun. My, one of my favorites, but, for sure. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did have to laugh a little bit. Like the opening story in this collection, The Spirit of the Thing, there is a panel where the bad guy looks a dead ringer for his Doctor Strange in the old, old, <laughs> before he got his, like when he first was doing them in the split book and had a much more Asian influence. He looks so like that in the first panel. I'm like, oh, he's getting hypnotized by Doctor Strange. That's kind of nice. And I liked his uh, Beast Man character. Felt like it could have been a recurring kind of superhero-y, regular creeper, demon sort of uh, superhero that he created. I like the Isle of the Beast, where it was a takeoff on the most dangerous game. Yeah. With the the O. Henry ending of the guy who's the prey, who's on the run, is a werewolf. So when the guy comes to take him out and put his uh, add his head to his uh, trophy wall, the dude's a werewolf. Wah, wah. But to- obviously I'm a sucker. I had this on the shelf already. So uh, Kevin, Phil, I know I've been blabbing on here. Feel free to jump in. Um, I mean, I like to hear you talk about some Ditko. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I'm not a big fan. So I feel it's better just to let you guys talk about it. I have trouble. I have trouble reading some of those older, eerie and creepy stories. A lot of them, like I have to really, really like the person to enjoy them, like uh, the Bernie ones, you know. And honestly, you can't read more than two or three at a time. That's the problem too. It's very hard to read a lot of them at once. You really gotta do it in pieces. Yeah. And sometimes I have a little trouble concentrating with comics like that. Yeah, so like those essentials, you don't want to read too many of those stories in a row. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially you start to see the kind of twists coming. Yeah. Before I, I felt that I think I mentioned on the show when I the challengers the unknown one that I had to kind of read that in little bursts, but yeah. for some reason I like the the art and me. stuff though. Like I like the art and stuff. I have no problem with that. It's me. It's more the stories, you know. Well, that's the fun of this. Uh... Mm-hmm. Halloween episode is diving into things like this where it's an anthology is you can really just flip through and uh, be like, oh, yeah. en- enjoy it for what there is to enjoy, which that man, again, no one, no one did go stuff. So cool to see that those ink washes mm-hmm. and, yeah. and for Evan to also in the intro to say that some of that ink wash stuff was done with magic markers. Crazy. That's wild. <laughs> Yeah, it's fun when they do that. I remember Kevin O'Neill had some of his stuff, and I was I was looking at a piece, and uh, sadly yeah, got outbid. That's, that's not archival safe, right? Magic markers. No, but <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I bought it, it. Wasn't this stuff in the cutting on the cutting board uh, <laughs> pile? Probably. <laughs> so. Right. What a crazy, what a crazy world we're in. All right, so, but Kevin, how did you like it? Not like it? You. It, Steve's putting it on you, so. Uh, it, okay, I'll I'll, I'll re- reveal the 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 secret here. You don't have uh, to there, like there it, was, Kevin. There, there's yeah, two books know. that I thought were were okay, and that well, that was the that was uh, Phil's book, and then the Dark Horse Book of the Dead. Like some of that, I was I was I was clicking clicking the clicking the mouse, and I'm like, okay, maybe the next one, but we'll, n- next part will be be better type of thing yeah that's that's where we're finishing dark horse book yeah. of the dead now this one the library collected it as the dark horse book of horror 
which is basically these anthologies. There were three of them. No, so, uh, four. Or oh, four. That's right. There's yeah. horror, um, which I thought was fine. I actually read the or, other ones. No, it was Wh- hauntings, no, witchcraft, yeah, right. witchcraft. I thought uh, was maybe monsters, the and then me. the dead. And then, yeah, like, uh, I was kind of wondering. I'm like, some of those had different creators. So, and then of course, just curious. After I like finished like the Book of the Dead, I'm like, oh, I have to go see what other people said. And yeah, sure enough, in the reviews, people are like the other one's better, or I didn't like this one for whatever reason. So yeah, it seems like it's, yeah. it's also what you're into. Yeah, and stuff like that. So the, the thing that all they they came out annually. Right, mm-hmm. and uh, they first intended to just do two, then that was they were so popular they did a third one, and uh, people being oh maybe the first two were better, uh, and then they didn't intend to do a fourth one, but people demanded it, so they did. But the thing that kept them um, similarly structured is the second story in each of the uh, trade paperbacks was a Hellboy story by Mignola. And then each of them had a prose story that had spot illustrations by Gary Gianni, who also has that Franklin Booth, very classic black and white, almost look like it could be wood etching type stuff. Mm -hmm. And then each of the anthologies ended with an Evan Dork and Jill Thompson Beasts of Burden story with the animals. Yeah, those were were some of the, I like, I, I might be out of the ongoing bits those were probably my favorite i mean we're just reviewing the one but because i did read the others those were probably my favorite recurring bit in this one the in the um book of the dead it was like a zombie dogs story which was kind of a funny twist yeah funny, but it starts with a strong the i thought they chose the kelly jones piece i thought was smart because it gets it's short it looks great gets the point it's a bit of a twist so I thought that was good, but here's my big confession, boys, for the Hellboy piece. Like, Hellboy's real hit or miss for me. Like, I like me the too. art, but I feel like the story, yeah. like, this one has a lot of, like, quotes from Shakespeare and everything. Yeah. yeah. And it just, I was like, I don't, it does nothing for me. But even that, That's the thing. I read the first story, and I'm like, yeah, that's all right, but really doesn't do anything for me. And then I get, oh, the Hellboy's going to be good. And then I'm like the uncultured fool that as soon as you start putting like Shakespeare or some like you're like quotations and poems, I'm like, oh, I thought it was going to be a Hellboy that I was going to be able and to enjoy more. Quick quick Hellboy plug. When this podcast comes out, there'll be a, there's a new Hellboy game out because it comes out October 18th. For sure. And, it's, and they copy like the art of the comic, if I remember correctly. A video game? Yeah. Yeah, it looks wow. pretty neat. Well, that's cool. It looks very neat. Yeah, thanks, Phil. Good hint. Yeah, so I just wanted to confess well, that I've read not a, I don't know, I've read maybe 10, 12 trades worth over the years, and some of it I like and some I don't, but the ones where they're not really stories, they're like this, that are like, I like yeah, but that's, yeah. You, see, you guys read the quotes. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's the problem sometimes, yeah. I, did, I, I, I confess, you know, once I got the idea of what they were doing there, I mean... I thought this this one was the ghoul, and I felt like this story reminds me what I really like about Hellboy and and what what space it 
fills in my enjoyment of creepy horror culture and pop culture and comic books in general because even when the story is really thin and 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 the storytelling is weak as it as it can be often a lot of times it's like hellboy finds some threat and then punches it and that's kind of all that it really is um when you peel away the the visuals and the moodiness that's what this Hellboy does for me is it puts me in this like mood that it's, it's atmospheric. Like the atmosphere transcends the page. It puts me, it puts me in a place like poetry puts people who like poetry, right? Or maybe like reading the Bible puts people who have that kind of experience with reading the Bible, but it, 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 it doesn't, it's not, denoting something it's connoting something like it 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 takes you to a little plate like the artwork isn't like i don't think magnolia's artwork is actually really that good but then i also think it's awesome because it it once you step into that world it's a weird creepy world of shadows and oddly shaped things and funny looking skulls and um and that's a really fun place to I think as far as one little place to spend some of your entertainment escapism comic book time. Does that make yeah, sense? I, yeah, that I makes just, sense. And I feel that sometimes I just, out of the four Hellboy, this was the one I like. The quotes just really yeah, kind of killed again, the momentum. Like I stopped, yeah. you know, you're trying to read them and you're like, do I know this? No, I don't. And like <laughs> that type of thing. And it just kind of ruins that flow that you were talking about i feel like yeah, i don't know sometimes the short stories don't do it for me i, I mean i need some there's never going to be a big revelation like the quotes and the things and the myth and the whatever there's never going to be some big revelation or aha thing it's just a weird little ride like even I mean, sometimes he zooms in on the frog's eyeball or something <laughs> <laughs> i like hellboy uh, more than I have realized um, just recently, I've decided that, boy, some of that stuff is really cool. Um, and, I, and I've got to got to re- revisit some of that old stuff. And then we get to a text story and I was not reading a text story in a comic book. No, right. but I, I did like the art, though, like Steve said, though. Yeah, I did yeah. It's like, fun, yeah like, I like that kind. I like Robert E. Howard. I'm not the huge fan. This was one of the dud ones, like it's his western horror which is real hit or miss for me i feel like you see everything coming he's got some i like solomon kane a ton lots of the conan some of his horror and lovecraft you know i think he created uh some of like the toad god and the unspeakable cults book like he's had significant contributions to the mythos but i thought this story was one of his kind of Mm. yeah what it was western it's it's old old Garfield's heart and I've read Howard's Conan stories and I don't know how much of his other stuff I've actually read I don't think I've really made it through a full Solomon Kane um, I love Solomon Kane Steve but, check it out but I thought this was fun in the same way that you were talking before about reading seeing a creator do something that is something a little in a different genre or something like that um, I'm like alright let's you know, he lived out in Texas, out in the desert, in a uh, dust 
you know, ridden plane kind of situation. Like, uh, let's read a Western story of his. And I thought it was well paced enough and got right to where it needed to go and was nice and short and sweet. And I, I thought it was decent enough. And I thought it was cool that the um, bully's name was Jack Kirby. So they kept talking mm-hmm. about how Jack Kirby was this badass and everything. And one line stuck out to me because nobody had gone to the trouble of killing him. Kirby thought the whole countryside was afraid of him. <laughs> yeah, I like, line. I would, it's a weird book, but I also, I do like his kind of tall Texas tale stories. Now, some of them haven't aged as well because humor is always a little tough, but he has a whole series of like kind of blowhard Texas American mythos stuff that he does. But this, like I said, I've read a, a, a lot of his horror and Lovecraft stuff. Just for me, this felt like he'd banged out of a few number of these. So I'm used to his like, it's usually the Native American is the key to like some ancient horror in the earth. And that's the same thing here. And it twists around. Well, I'm glad you, I like it when my friends like things as the kids say, but <laughs> and, and I just, and Jerry, uh, Gary Gianni's stuff. I always yeah, like yeah. his, his work takes so long that it, it, for him to do sequentials takes forever. So for him to do spot illustrations um, as a running gag throughout all of these uh, book of dark horse things um, works for me. You know, and you don't you don't have to read it. It's an anthology. You can skip right to the next yeah. one. But actually, I didn't get to mention that I thought the opening that Hungry Ghosts, the Kelly Jones, I thought that was cool because it set the tone for the whole anthology. That it made you feel like one of those. It was one of those old rights in. Yeah, stories I from a Warren Kelly book, Jones like it was like Jennifer or something like that, out in the woods with some yokel. Even the color palette felt like an old Wrightson story from from the old Warren book. So I thought that was a good way to kick it off too. I mean, I also never know like what the rights situation is. Like the first one has a I love Clark Ashton Smith, probably out of the trinity of weird tales writers, but the one they picked was another one that was not in my opinion, anywhere near his best. And so I was like, I sometimes I wonder if just like, oh, we get the rights to this. And certainly with Howard and Lovecraft, less with Smith, they also had to make sure it wasn't too problematic. because Those guys wrote a lot of stories that have things you might not want to put out in a book. Are you, you know, talking about anthologies we didn't read again? Exactly. <clears throat> well, I wanted to say that I do, it may have been something like that, because as much as I love Clark, Ash, and Smith, like that one was kind of, eh. Clark Clark has done way better, people. Don't let that be your judge of Clark Ashton Smith. All right. I talked so nicely about the first four, but uh or the first three installments here, but the ditch with the Todd Herman art, I uh I really didn't like this because it was pretty gross. Uh, I hated that one. The dead dog in a ditch. <laughs> the thoughts the, the thoughts of a dead the ruminations of a dead dog in a ditch. Yeah. yeah. Not a that's not like a meditation I want to take, you know. No, it's I don't like that subject either. Well, it also but just least... veered around weirdly, like it did, like yeah. into like the truck driver's backstory, and and I'm like, what does the dog care about that? Do I like what's the the link? Uh, you know what I'll say that's good about it? Nice colors by Dave Stewart. Yeah, well, even the art, I would be happy with other <laughs> stories, you know, with that art, like. Uh... The, the next one, though, is Death Boy with uh, Bob Fingerman writing and art by Robert Langridge, and, where death 
any time death is passing along like his responsibilities or his station or his powers to anyone is always a good time for me yeah, yeah <laughs> and i love language <laughs> ever since i think popeye was my first when idw or boom was doing those yeah lord Deathman shows up here also as i mean I, I i shouldn't say hey this is just like the mask but for some reason that's what it totally reminded me of like that ty- type of face and cartooning is just just seeing those images and those covers and everything. And I'm like, is this how the mask is? <laughs> if so, I need to read some. <laughs> I know. Like it was, it was, it was goofy and everything like that. So I mean, so that next, worked out fine. The next one's uh, Eric Powell uh, from the goon fame doing uh, not exactly uh, sequentials, but it's definitely good comic booking uh, doing a bit on the Wallace expedition where he kind of puts a supernatural twist on the historical event that I thought was pretty oh. freaking creepy. I think the collection is different. Yeah. The one I have next is the stain. With Joshua yeah, me Garza, too. So I think we only have some of it maybe in our collection. Oh, dang, Phil, That's I missed weird. out. Yeah. Hmm, we missed all the cross hatching. Ah, yeah. Well, we're going to fix that right now. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, uh, someone talks about the stain. Didn't oh, I hate, I hate when they do that when they leave out certain stories and collections. Yeah, look at that. It's not in the. Weird. Boo! The I thought I had the superior version, all of them together. Oh, we had the inferior nope. version. So yeah, we had the junk, the garbage one, the one people wipe their butts with. That's not cool at all. At all. No. I wonder if it was an Eric Powell. Because, yeah, oh, I don't have an Eric Powell one. Oh, maybe, him. eh? That makes sense. Ah, that would make sense, yeah. And they don't want to pay oh. people. Oh, yeah. Because he, nice. he probably he... he went his own way by then, right? Yeah, but he so. always comes back and works for Dark Horse, so he has a good situation yeah. with them, so I don't know. Weird. It's, it's so hard, but, yeah, it is a weird choice. Oh, it looks great, though, i got to say. Looks and good. the stain is not <laughs> in uh, the one oh. that I... The really? single. So the stain is like from somewhere else? Maybe that they must, replaced they must it with that one then. What a weird... Yeah. Thing. yeah. You guys did better keep it. It's uh, uh, Josh uh, Dysart, Ron Wimbley. And it, basically it's a story of their, uh, an old um, insane asylum and a woman died there. So the characters put themselves in the story and they go to see where the stain of the woman, you know, she dies... Uh, of exposure in this wing and then they find out that she's actually really must have died peacefully and then a cat shows up and like i it yeah, ended kevin, so there's weird two pages of cats two that, pages of cats kevin phil i felt kind of lost at that ending i, just, I didn't like, like it, it was either, going yeah. in one way and then it just kind of ends i guess and i'm like okay but that's it seems like they just slopped this in then so yeah probably was not maybe they needed a certain number of pages clearly mm-hmm. so they're like just make it this long, and no one cares what it is. But fascinating, yeah. Phil, we got the worst version. How about that? Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see what they have next, just to make sure. Maybe we're missing more. Who knows? The next one's Queen of Darkness. Uh, yes. Pat McEwen with the story and art. I like this art a lot. It, for this this one. one's uh, I, it was a weird little journey, right? Like it felt it like it was a little more swords and sorcery to me than like horror, but. And then it was another kind of didn't really 
go anywhere really nope. but it was kind of like an origin story yeah and even with those extra pages yeah it didn't really go very far compared to the some of the others i, I guess think. my like the first time you read it when you're in middle school or whatever the princess mm-hmm. or the tiger is pretty cool but i feel like it's a hard sell to get me that invested over eight pages because it ends with like you know is he gonna take it does he get the princess or the tie you know it's one of those like you decide and while i like the art a lot so much went on i wasn't as invested with like well did the cult lie to him or not like we don't know the narrator doesn't or the protagonist main character doesn't have all the information he was told one thing that may or may not be true and so because we're in his situation i don't feel as invested in his decision because I don't know what's right. Like, I don't know what's true. So what decision he makes, I don't know. I think more information or more investment might've made it more interesting for me to be like, Oh, I would definitely choose the princess or the tiger. But this way I didn't know which one he was going to choose, but I wasn't invest. I didn't think one choice was better than another. Or did you guys think it in the original graphic novel? Or did you guys feel like it wasn't an open end? Maybe I misread it, and I'm like, I don't know if he joins with her or fights her. I don't she's know. like, you have to decide. And so I'm like, oh, I, I couldn't. I mean, I guess you could read him gripping his sword. Is I don't know. I was like, I, I can't tell. And I don't mind those ambiguous endings, but I need to be invested in the character and the decision. So, and they, the don't, first... they, don't, they don't do another uh installment of that character and one of the other ones either i was just checking because i was like oh maybe there's more to the story nope (laughs) so in in your guys trade it starts off with hellboy no no the the kelly jones the hungry Hungry ghost okay it's the same because i have both versions in front of me here the same yeah i I started opening the other one up too yeah because i'm like the only difference that i can see in is the stain yeah that's so weird and Mm. and the Wallace expedition. Weird. Uh, the oh, yeah. next one is a uh, Cago Notori written by Jamie S. Rich with art by Guy Davis, which is, this is good. Uh, kind of like, it's probably the creepiest for me. It, and it, it had a lot of words that I didn't read, but I still, <laughs> true. I still understood and got the vibe. And I, you know, I felt like um, Herman Munster was going to come out somewhere and say, uh, sometimes dead is better. Because it was kind of like an Asian twist on a pet cemetery deal. I yeah. felt like oh, Hellboy I, I was going to pop was, out again. I think there was a Buffy the Vampire Slayer sort of like <laughs> hinted at something like this happening, but they didn't go as far as the visuals in this story. For me, it reminded me of uh, recently I reviewed Anthony Bourdain's Hungry Ghosts where he has all those Japanese mythology. Obviously, this is... Because it has that weird... It's not... This is clearly some folktale character thing that has rules in it, but we don't know them. So it's kind of interesting. Also, uh, I had the same experience with, like, the Witcher video game, where because he's from Poland or somewhere, there's some ghost stories and elements that have what I'm guessing are mythological roots but because it's a culture i don't know it's always fascinating for me it's not quite as creepy because i'm more like oh it's interesting that they interpret this you know if this happens to you this is the type of ghost you become that kind of thing because it's not what we do uh where i know so i i I sometimes 
enjoy it, but I don't get sucked into the story as much, I guess, because I'm more analyzing it like, oh, that's interesting. Like, that because she pined for the water so much, she got said, like, I missed that while I was reading it. It was only when I looked at it afterwards. I'm like, oh, I guess that's what happens is the water spirit kind of seduces you. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Then there's the magicians, which is, uh, kind of, uh, no, we don't have that. We don't I have, have that. That one. Wait a minute. Yeah, I have the magicians. Is next. I mean, I feel like they're. Oh, you're right. Here. In the in the big collection, it isn't. No, no, what? I have the magicians next. It's after in the, the big collection. Yeah, yeah. After the Japanese ghost lady, it's the magicians. Because <laughs> I thought the magicians' idea was really no, clever. We... But in I thought mine, the execution. It's not in there. Mine in either, mine... Phil. Oh, I yeah. have my. I have it. So they changed it the third time, but another time. Yeah, yeah cuz mine's a recent mine's a recent. I just got it yeah. this new edition. Cuz mine's new too, year. yeah. No, this is 2017. I guess they pulled oh, the wow. rights to it, but it is in that one. Cuz I thought, uh, oh, this is a good idea about mine's 2021. The mm-hmm. mystical setting, wow. but asking more personal. Like normally they're always obsessed with how it the power and the thing, but he had more serious questions about the toll it takes in family. I just thought that it was a good... I don't know, for some reason the execution didn't wow me. I've never seen a comic change like this so much. It really makes me sad. It's George Lucas. But this magician's deal, this guy reanimates the skeleton of his father in a graveyard and has the opportunity to talk to his father who was into dark magic stuff that he has now dabbled in himself and he has the opportunity to ask his father anything and his father is ready to be asked all the tough questions and his son doesn't want to know anything about that and his son's like a grown middle-aged man too it's not like it's a kid or anything Um, but his son doesn't want to know anything about that he wants to know how like why he wasn't a better father yeah and how he can avoid that mistake and and how he can avoid being i thought that was uh that was an interesting twist that was worth the seven pages even though you're right it didn't go anywhere yeah i really like i like the idea like the skeleton wasn't expecting that yeah you know what i mean (laughs) like it was like shit a way to make it i don't know hit a little hard i maybe even make it even shorter perhaps i don't know it just yeah i love the idea yeah but it's like you know what your daddy didn't know either you know and and so make the bet you're 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 a grown-up now so Get, Did you find it distracting? Distracting. It goes to like the three D artwork at one point. And then the last one is the Beasts of Burden story by Evan Dorkin and Jill Thompson. The uh, the zombie dogs. Yeah. More dead dogs. dogs. Yeah, I, I know. I'm like <laughs> using dead dead animals, dead dogs in the story. And I'm like, ooh. But it's zombies, so it's different. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I like. Yeah. I think Dorkin does a great job of making the dogs not human like they're obviously Mm -hmm. talking creed like they're 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 anthropomorphized to extent but they're still dogs in a way yeah and i like that balance that sometimes i feel like when they anthropomorphize creatures they're you could just put humans in the same yeah role like they like they don't know accounting yeah (laughs) you know what i mean like (laughs) like they he keeps them with some dog and they have different characters because if you read a bunch of this I know he went on with a different artist more recently after Jill, because I guess Jill Thompson, again, the painting makes not for a speedy 
delivery of work. Um, so I think he moved on with another partner, but they've done more Beasts of Burden, if you like that stuff. I mean, they're not all like this, obviously has to fit the tone of the book, but they do run around and kind of solve mystery. <laughs> they're this original Scooby gang, I guess you could say. And there's right? cats in this. Yeah, cats in all of them, usually. Yeah, you can't have dogs without cats. But yeah, that this is uh, this is ten years, gentlemen. Ten years, four books. Woo-hoo. It all comes back to Halloween books. Yep. Glad we started on Halloween and didn't start on Canadian Thanksgiving, guys. That could have been rough doing. For real. You mean you mean real Thanksgiving? Trying to yeah, find. Yeah, we just call uh, it Thanksgiving here. Trying to find four books on Canadian Thanksgiving might be a big stretch every year, but is that yeah? Special. I don't think. Very special episode. Yeah. Tonight, on a very special episode of Indie Comic Book Noise. Yeah, I mean, don't expect us to read each other's books in the future, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That, hey, that... I made it easy on you. I'm like, Dragonhead, this is going to be easy reading. Everyone's going to be like, yeah. I blew through that thing in like two sittings. Yeah, the only problem is good luck finding any more of it. <laughs> Here's something that only Volume 1 is available, so enjoy. No. Uh, like you say, I'll, maybe I'll have to check out this Kadancha digital business. Because that's a name you'll remember. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're one of the big publishers. They are. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Here's to 10 years more. Kevin, do you have any catchphrases for this year as we wind it down? Uh, read more manga. Hmm. That works. Later. I'll read it later. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Come gather around me, space travelers surround me. Hark now to the ballad of Rocky Robin. I may well confound you, astound you, spellbound you with heroes and villains, the bad and the good. Watch now as our rockets race here from afar, for now with our Robin we live on a star. Gallant fear of the pain Send a joyous shout to 